Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Literacy View. We have a great show for you today. We have a special guest with us. Her name is Marilyn Muller. Marilyn is a pro bono advocate for free, appropriate, public-funded education, better known as FAPE, to ensure each child gets what they most need to thrive, be proficiently literate, and prepared for further education, employment, and independent living. Our focus tonight is really a Tim Shanahan doubleheader. And we are going to be looking at two of his latest blogs, and they both have to do with Emily Hanford's Sold a Story. The first one is called is Emily Hanford Wright. And I'm just going to quickly summarize before we move on. So in case uh, anyone didn't read the blogs, I'll just give you a quick synopsis. So is Emily Hanford Wright? Basically, um, Dr. Shanahan was um, saying that, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily agree with all of Emily Hanford's views or even how she frames some of her arguments. But overall, he feels that her positions are sound and that uh, the positions were well supported by lots of high quality research and that he feels that her critics do more to confuse the issues than to enlighten. And it really seems like there's no purpose beyond attempting to discourage the teaching of phonics. Um, he did say that reporting, unlike reading instruction, doesn't have to address everything. His second blog, entitled More on Hanford, Phonics Reform and Literacy Levels, takes a different position where he then goes into um, what he did not like about Sold a Story, and that he did not care for uh, Hanford's heavy focus on financial gains of the creators of such programs in balanced literacy. He doesn't believe they did it for the money. And he also believes, I know, I hear it. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did they do it for then? Hold back, Madeline. <laughs> Just hold back. Come okay. On. Go Zen. Go Zen. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and also that um, when we focus on phonics, that uh, if we just look at fixing the phonics problem, that these gains might be real, but relatively limited in middle and high school. So that's just a quick summary of the two articles. We will put the links for those articles in the notes. And I'd like to turn it over to our special guest. Now, I just want to be clear. The reason we invited Marilyn on. Hi, Marilyn. <laughs> and um, Marilyn is the parent of um, a twice exceptional child, a 15-year-old named Lauren. And she um, and Marilyn is very vocal about um, what she had to go through to get her daughter what she needed um, because the schools were not providing it. And I wanted to get Marilyn on here uh, and Judy, too. We both felt strongly that Marilyn would be a great guest so that she could weigh in on um, both of these um, articles and to I, I'm looking for her feedback in terms of what she thinks as a parent with a dyslexic child, but in particular, a child who really is um, twice exceptional. We want to know what that means and what you feel about um, both of these blogs. Well, um, there's a there's a lot to cover, so I'll try to be succinct in my description. Um, so first of all, twice exceptional um, basically is a um, a child with above average IQ 
Okay. Some would say in the, you know, gifted would be a term that most people recognize. Mm -hmm. So she would have a gifted level IQ, but also has a learning difficulty, um, specifically dyslexia, dysgraphia. Um, and that shows in like a neuropsychological evaluation in her working memory deficits and her processing speed deficits. So Lauren's brain is neuro neurobiologically unique, different than the neurotypical brain. And she uses different pathways to process her um, language. Um, and so basically, uh, you, you have a child who's, um, if you were to look at her neuropsych evaluation, the data, it looks like, um, mountain peaks and then valley lows. Mm -hmm. So she has, um, you know, um, an extraordinary higher order thinking skills, um, you know, problem solving skills. Her verbal, she's she's highly verbal, um, yet she has these weaknesses in her auditory processing um, and her working memory, which is the amount of information that she can keep in her her brain. So, say you're in front of a, you're learning a lesson, how much information she can keep in her brain and actively access um, uh, to to process or you know to to work on problems like, you know, ma math problems, especially if they're language-based math problems, which most are these days. Mm -hmm. um, so for her, it can be a challenge to um, stay on task with at the same speed as your neurotypical peer that would say sitting next to her. She can solve the problem. She may even be able to, she may even have stronger problems um, problem solving skills, but mm -hmm. it may take her longer, um, mm -hmm. to get to the final answer. So I'm glad you explained that to everyone. So now you read both of these blogs. What's your take on it? Well, um, first of all, I want to just say, you know, obviously I have a ton of respect for you know, the experts. Okay. Um, and not, not to isolate Mr. Shanahan or anyone else in, in this, you know, in this space. Um, but I think that there's a huge disconnect between the experts and the lived experience. And, when Emily's story sold the story released, when I tell you that I took my dogs on a walk and I cried, I mean, ugly crying, not just like, um, you know, da, da, da. no, I cried. I was crying the entire time because it was validation for Everything that we parents have always been dismissed as anecdotal and no one would believe my story, so to say, that it wasn't just me, right? It's not just me. And that's what the system wants you to think, these parents to think, like, literally, if I were to you know, rewind to 2015 when the neuropsychologist at Mass General Hospital said, oh, there's nothing wrong with Lauren. She's dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Like literally that's how mm -hmm. Dr. Forcelli delivered the message to us. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. nothing wrong with my child. Mm -hmm. You're right. She's bright. She's gregarious. She's articulate. Um, she was, everyone would always say to me, she was like, you know, an adult in an, you know, seven-year-old body, a little, a little girl's body. Right. So why, um, so I guess, um, you know, I, I want to just kind of 
gear this now to, so what about the blog maybe triggered something in you? That's, you know, that's what I'm I'm asking right now. Like, what is it about reading? I you read both blogs. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you might have had different thoughts about each one, but what is it about this that triggered something in you? And then Judy, I know that you and I have spoken about this before. Um after Marilyn you know, says what she's going to say about what she thinks about the blogs. I'd like you to maybe talk about um, what we spoke about with your own experiences. Okay. So go ahead, Marilyn. Okay. So I guess to summarize, um, you know, I'm I'm just going to say it like these reading wars. Okay. And all of these expert opinions. Um, Parents did not start reading wars, right? That's right. Who started them? Experts, really, right? And and the interesting thing is that some of these experts are on the national reading panel, or you know, they they're on ILA, they're on this, they're on that. They have all these credentials. And right. so there's there's a piece of me that questions the reading wars. Um, I believe that they're stoked by the experts. Mm-hmm. Wow. And why do I believe that? Because, well, first of all, if we solved this reading war, which we could, I mean, easily parent, if, if the policymakers listen to parents, we would solve the reading wars. There wouldn't be a reading war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's pretty um, clear. <laughs> All right. So Judy, I want Judy to jump in now. Okay. Um, so what are you thinking, Judy, about what Marilyn said about the blogs? Go ahead. So I have a lot of thoughts. So my first question is to you, Faith. Okay. You ready for it? Yes. Why didn't you give Marilyn the memo to be matching and wearing the same color as us to be today on the episode? I don't know how that's, this ever even happened. And, and, and that's, you know, I, I forgot. I have to say, I just forgot. Can you believe Faith we're matching? I think it's the first episode that we're exactly matching. But anyway, uh, first of all, everybody, I want to thank Marilyn for being here today, for being so honest about her own experiences in life. And you know, nothing matters more than the voice of a parent. The reason that we're all here is for the kids. And I think I have a lot of emotions. Um, I took like how many notes? One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven pages of notes. But I'll start with some overall thoughts that I had. So the first thought that I had was, wait a minute. This sounds a little bit like what Wetzler was saying. Everybody was really mad when Wetzler started saying there's more than just phonics. And people were kind of really mean to her. So she came on our show to say, hey, this is what I meant. This is what I'm saying. When when Tim brought this up, I'm reading all the comments today. You're wonderful. You're so great. (laughs) You know what? First of all, they're just regular people like you and me, like all three of us. Okay. Um, I think that Faith and I play a very important role. We work with those damn kids, not damn kids, those amazing, wonderful. <laughs> those damn kids. Is, oh, tell us how back. you really feel about the kids, Judy. <laughs> Actually, no, I really love my kids. Like they're every kid that I'm ever with or is in my is in my life, it really becomes like my own children. Jeez. But like, you know, how many of those experts are working with kids every day? How many of those experts are sitting near a kid? where they're looking at a word or they're not looking at a word. They're just looking at the damn picture. (laughs) Looking at the damn picture is not reading. Yes. You're thinking about meaning, but let's do that in those nice read alouds about snow white and the seven dwarfs or something else. So that's one thing. Um, The other thing that I felt was like, does Emily really need people defending her right now? Like Emily did a freaking amazing job. This is coming from somebody who in 2013 was trained in reading recovery like a lot of other New Yorkers were. They chose the cream of the crop in New York City to be trained in that. One of them was me. 
However, not all of my students did well. Not all of my students discontinued. I did not do a good enough job teaching kids how to decode words because I wasn't given that knowledge. And then I've invested six or seven years to say, hey, I better become an expert because A, I'm training teachers and B, I'm working with the lives of children. And you know what? The number one thing kids need is to be able to lift those words off the page. And if they can't, then we all fail. We all fail. And wait, one more thing. The only thing though I have to give Tim, I have to give him something. I do think that a little bit of the reporting by Emily Hanford did focus a lot on the money. For me, I try not to think people are shitty. I just try. I, okay. I can't. My BS no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> get, yeah, get, yeah, bullshit. I, listen, listen, but did bullshit. I need... Wait, be quiet, bullshit button. Listen, I don't think that I needed to hear about what kind of towels Lucy has and that they have a monogram. Listen, at the end of the day, okay. what? wait, let me finish. One of my students in the South Bronx gave me a towel with my letters on on it. And that was special. And guess what? That kid didn't have a lot of money and I don't have a lot of money. So like, do I think that was the most important piece? No, I think Emily's number one amazing thing that she did is reveal a gigantic problem. We weren't teaching kids how to decode words well. Kids were using pictures. Kids were told that they can't sound out words. But, you know, between Tim Shannon, I'm I'm setting you off now. So, okay. So you said, are you going to get me bad? Am I in big trouble? No, but you said a lot. So a couple of things. I agree with you that I felt like I heard this before from Natalie Wexler. um, You know, and uh, Dr. Tim Rosinski. Also, they both kind of talked about the idea that it's not just phonics. I mean, he focused on fluency. She was focusing on, um, you know, background knowledge and and Mm -hmm. writing. But Mm -hmm. the idea is that they did bring this up. So you did hear this before. My thought is I loved um, and I just want to say something too. I happen to look forward to um, Tim Shanahan's blogs. I, yeah. I really do. I think they're excellent. I think uh, he's a brilliant man. He gives a lot. And um, I really do um, like what he has to say often. What I'm not thrilled about is he could have left this with the first article. The first blog would have been enough. Mm-hmm. The second blog, I think, kind of, he he extended an olive branch to, I think, the other side. And what I mean by that is you could look at it and say it was a nuanced type of um, argument that he's looking at all the angles. But, you know, he kind of takes the position as the elder statesman, trying to kind of look at every angle and talk about it. But by doing that, it kind of just goes against what he said in the first blog. By bringing some of these things up, questions all the things that he mentioned in the first blog. That's how I felt. But I do want to say something about what you said with the money. That's when my BS button was coming. My money. I am sorry. I am sorry. But she had every right to bring up the kind of money that they're making when you have Lucy Calkins associated with Columbia University. You're telling me that nobody knew about this and and. Um, wait a minute. And um, Pinnell, which she gave seven and a half million dollars to the education department at Ohio State University. You know, where did they get all this money from? And I don't yeah. care, I don't begrudge anybody for making a lot of money. But if you're making it and it's something that's hurting kids and, you know, people look the other way because the money was rolling in. 
you have to look at this. And by him kind of making light of this, saying that it muddies, let me just see if I could find his. Yeah, but you got to blame the universities too, right? Of course. But what I'm saying is, here, he said that talking about that part, that's really um, that the authors and publishers are allowed to publish what they want and to profit from the publication is a side issue that muddies rather than clarifies. Now, Marilyn is somebody who shelled out thousands and thousands of dollars. How do you feel, Marilyn, about hearing something like this? Your thoughts? First of all, um, one of my favorite hashtags that (laughs) is is hashtag curriculum fraud. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because um, units of study and Fountas and Pinnell classroom are fraud, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because they have access to the research, they, um, you know, the whole know better, do better, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not only that, their publishers are culpable because they they have, you know, a layer of due diligence, I believe. And, and I, I liken this to look at all the other class action lawsuits in other industries. Right. And and what are what are those class action lawsuits typically related to negligence? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really pretty simple. Um, Hawkins and Fountas and Pinnell are negligent. In their um, writing, production, whatever, um, of producing this curriculum. And nobody knew, right? Nobody but knew. But why didn't anybody know? Why didn't the schools know better? Why didn't the those boxes? Be, wait, wait, wait. Let me talk. Let me talk. The boxes are still in a lot of classrooms. They're not in the dumpsters yet. They're not in the white, uh, clear bags that sometimes where teachers dump all this stuff. I see uh, it's still around. Okay. Okay. So, so let me ask you a question. Um, do, do you? It's my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I am an imperfect advocate. I'm just a mom. Okay. Um, yeah. I have no freaking college degree. This is all baptism by fire. It's my understanding <laughs> that the, that the NEA is spawn of teachers college. Is that correct? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm fairly okay. certain from um, a very reliable source who went to teachers college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who told who told me that um, the NEA mm-hmm. um, came out of Teachers College? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have an alignment there. You have a history. You have a connection. You have a network. Almost like we'll call it the instead of the old boys club, we'll call it the old girls club since it's mm-hmm. predominantly women in teaching. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you, Judy, who chooses the curriculum? In schools, well, I'm not speaking, I'm not going to really speak about the New York City Department of Education. These are all my own views. I still work there. But in general, what I'm seeing, in, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. Who chooses the curriculum? I think the districts are still choosing, but there's good news. There's good news. I see the laws are changing, and I see that schools are going to have to select curriculums based on state mandates of what is approved evidence-based curriculum. However, I'm not sure yet. What does that look like? Is it going to be for the 30-minute phonics block or is it going to be for the potentially 120 minutes? The other thing that's really tough though is, you know, I see a lot of schools are implementing new programs. There's HMH, there's Core Knowledge, which has been around for a long time. There's Wit and Wisdom. Some of these programs haven't been in the field for a long time. How are we going but to know let's that they're going to back to the money? <laughs> exactly. Okay, let's back to the money. So let so let me say something. Yeah, I'm go. gonna pull a quote out of this blog. And um I think 
you know, I'm going to respond to this, but it says here, money, I'm, I'm pulling just a piece out of it. Money is not just a direct benefit. It is an indication that your work has wide appeal to educators and that it must be fulfilling some instructional need. As I've noted before, many things work in reading. They just don't work equally well. Cognitive psychologists have explained how human beings fool themselves, looking at the positive evidence and rationalizing the data we don't want to accept. Now, when I read that, I have to say, I stopped and I thought about the show Dope Sick. Did either one of you see Dope Sick? It was no. about Big Pharma. Wait, so you read this in which article right now? This it was is, in the second, this is the second article, the second one, more right from now. Hanford. And this is the one, because I said the first article, you know, I read it and I was nodding my head. And then this second article came out and I was like confused. Not that I don't understand nuance. I understand what he was trying to do. He was trying to present all sides. I get that. But some of this, I have to say, you, you know, when he talked about there being too much of a focus on the financial benefits of the creators, I'm thinking of big pharma when in, during this opioid crisis. Who do you blame? Do you blame the person who's in pain taking no. the meds or does it go back to the big pharmaceutical companies? Doesn't it go back to maybe that they're assuring you, oh, don't worry, this is right. fine. It's perfectly safe to take these types of things. The person in pain just wants to feel better. Right. So somebody, the buck has to stop somewhere. Why wouldn't we um, look to make these people accountable. They got rich off the backs of, you know, school children. buying children. children. Okay, so what's what's the solution? Buying into this, they made all this money. Shouldn't they be paying for, let's say, private tutoring and, yes. and private yes. schools and yes. all of these things? Yes, I feel if they benefited from these types of things, and we knew the research didn't support it. Well, why aren't they being held accountable? Exactly. They're, they're why aren't they being, being held accountable? And why isn't, what about our nation's government? Where are they? Where are they? Well, first of all, this, first of all, this is the thing. We have federal laws, okay, that talk about evidence-based and we have best practices and we right. have all this. None of that is enforced. Okay. Why? why? Yeah. I don't know. It's just a bunch of laws that are on the books to really protect the government, I think, not to protect the citizen. But I mean, learning the lives of our, our kids, we're, I don't think we're doing very well statistically amongst other countries right now, are we? No, I we're 25th. We're 25th in the world and falling dramatically. Okay? China's, China's, China's number one. Oh. Yeah, this is this is this is serious stuff. And I'm really sick and tired of Congress politicking with their hearings when the hearings should be focused on what is going on inside our public school institutions. Right. Like, I mean, 70 percent of of fourth and eighth graders can't read at grade level proficiently. Grade level is like the bare minimum. And so they're so they're culpable, right? But yes, what but what again it goes back to what you know I just read here. Money is not just a direct benefit, it is an indication that your work has wide appeal. Mm -hmm. So boy, who was pushing this wide appeal? Why did schools buy into this so much that every school virtually across, I don't know, the country has some form of either the guided reading or teacher's college reading and writing project. I would say most do. So it had this wide appeal. Is it because there was some, um, it, it worked? 
Or is it because it was sold, like sold a story? We were all sold a story. I think principals got very used to the concept of leveling. For some reason, it seemed to make sense to a lot of administrators. Oh, they need to be here and they're here, but they didn't really understand what it meant to be here and here. They they didn't really understand, but, but who did understand? Don't you think that the universities had research when the National Reading Panel came out with their report? Are you telling me that Columbia University and, you know, Teachers College had no idea? Are you telling me that Ohio State University doesn't really know the research either, that nobody really looked into this, that it's all just an innocent kind of um, mistake that was overlooked. I mean, I don't know. Shouldn't we be concerned to say that, you know, I, I, I don't doubt their seriousness of purpose or staunch beliefs. Okay, maybe you can't you can't say they didn't believe in what they were doing, but somewhere along the way, they had to know that maybe what they were doing didn't really align. They told themselves a story. That's what was implied. And now are they going to be held accountable now that we have the science, now that we have the evidence and research? Is there going but to we've be- had it. We've had the evidence and research for like 40, 50 years. This I is my... It. Yeah, Marilyn, but on a positive note, I do see shifts. I feel it. I hear no, it. No, no, no. Oh, that's a different story. That's, a, that's different. What I'm saying is the research has been around long enough where units of study, it shouldn't be like, oh, I come to Jesus, I need to put more phonics in <laughs> units of study. No, I know, of course. But you know what I'm, I, I have to say, and I know I've said this over and over again, there's other shitty programs out there too. There's, there's, teachers, that are, there's teachers that are sitting and writing their curriculum. So on top of writing 75 lesson plans a week, they're also on curriculum teams. Mm-hmm. Like what the hell is that? So now let's talk about his other part of um, the second blog, where let's he talks, do it. All right, where he talks about that um, that focusing on phonics promises too much. That basically, um, you know, it's important in the earlier grades, and yes, it does show that it's helpful later on but it's limited in scope. And as they go on in middle school and high school, there are certainly other factors that play into this. I would agree with that for sure, that there are other factors. However, it was mentioned in blog one, he did say this, but then went into it deeply here. Um, Your thoughts. So I'll bounce it back to Marilyn, then Judy, and then we'll see where we go. Go ahead. So I pulled a quote from him in that piece that said, quote, when we have had major emphases on phonics, literacy scores like the NAP scores have risen and they have fallen or remained stagnant when the attention on decoding lapsed. Okay. So that right there to me is is an admission that phonics is a required foundational skill for um, improving literacy scores. Okay. He did say that. Right. So, but we know, I don't, I mean, there's five pillars of literacy. To, to early literacy, correct? Yeah. I mean, arguably, if you want to make six and include knowledge, go for it, right? Or seven and include writing. <laughs> that, yeah, that too, whatever. I mean, this is also like in, in flux, but we know you need to have phonemic awareness, you need to have phonics, the vocabulary piece. And, um, you know, like I said in one of my posts with... Um, it was on, I think, Natalie's or someone else's thread. Okay. My daughter was blessed enough to, we travel. We travel. We travel to New York. We've traveled to Europe. We've traveled to Italy. Um, she gets exposure to culture. We go to Broadway. You know, we do a lot of things. We go out to games. 
My daughter has a tremendous amount of background knowledge, right? She has way more knowledge than, than most kids her age in the early years. And I'm talking kindergarten through three. But Lauren could not decode. Okay? So it, the knowledge that she had is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It was irrelevant. You yes, could but not your read daughter, it wouldn't have made a lot of difference. You know, t- for your daughter, the phonics piece was the crucial missing piece right. that she really had the other pieces in place because you are fortunate enough to be able to provide her with the language, the vocabulary, the experiences. So it's for, for many kids with dyslexia. That is the pivotal point for them, that that's what they need. Judy, your thoughts? I agree a thousand percent. And I think that a lot of kids that are not dyslexic definitely would benefit from phonics instruction. I mean, overall, I do think Tim's point that we do have to focus on all the pillars of instruction is 100% right. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that a lot of us are now thinking about the other pillars and how we were teaching those as well. And I think that shifts are taking place even with the comprehension because we were all following or many people were following the Fontas and Pinnell continuum, which was like a thousand pages saying how we had to do things. And it wasn't really getting kids to have that deep, deep knowledge, understanding about many topics. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like anything else, there's going to be, you know, rough patches. We're not just thinking about phonics. Phonics was a gigantic missing piece. It is my passion. It is something that I've spent six or seven years dreaming about, thinking about. I literally can't look at a word without seeing syllable types, whether I'm at Soul Cycle or at Orange Theory, and there's quotes on the wall. And very often now when I'm walking around with students, they're starting to see the syllable types. So do you think that Emily Hanford then was wrong for focusing her whole um, sold a story well, I mostly think, on phonics? Yeah, so I, I mean, think Tim made a good yeah, I think according to, to let me just say, according yeah, yeah. to what um, Dr. Tim Shanahan said, he said a journalist is not the right. same as, um, you know, a, a researcher. So, you know, if she chose to focus on this area and she turned up some important points, why are we just looking at saying, well, why wasn't it a, a, a broader look. But then in the second blog, he starts talking about the, you know, the complex yeah, pillars plan. again. Right. So it was like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. You were just saying in one you place, said you don't have to, and now you said you have to. And now so you're like, saying like a lot was missing, perhaps, even though he said she didn't have to say it, but there are these missing points. So again, I think he's trying to have a nuanced discussion, but at the same time, couldn't he have just left it with blog one? Like, why did we have to, um, I think, muddy, I think this blog might have muddied the waters a bit. I don't know. You know, I think, you know, I also read about that point that he said, you know, it's not Emily's fault because this problem has existed for over 20 years. And yes, in some ways, she's my hero. She's my hero because she said, this shit has to stop now, okay? (laughs) However, whenever you create something, right, there's an audience, right? And every audience member that's watching or listening to something has a different level of experience, right? Faith, you and I, we know the five pillars of literacy plus writing. We live, we breathe, we do. However, there could be listeners that don't know anything about the pillars. So Emily's focus on that is fine. However, to another listener, maybe somebody who doesn't know a lot about literacy instruction, they might be oh, like, okay, phonics is the only problem. They're going to learn phonics and okay. so, problem solved. So, okay, so I, I agree with that, that maybe for other people, right. they don't see it as um, something broader, that it's complex. That's fine. But like you just said before, 
you know, Natalie Wexler said that and she was attacked for that. People jumped and on her. So what is it about Tim Shanahan is that he's allowed to go both ways? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, they, they, the flip flopping. I, I have a problem with the flip flopping. It, it seemed to be. Wait, let me, I want to swing my magic wand. Abracadabra, abracazam, make the flip-flopping stop again. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. But, but look, yeah, go ahead. The flip-flopping, I feel, um, and I've seen this with other experts, um, and and some of them will even sign a letter, and then like three weeks later, they're like, Oh, well, you know, maybe I, I, I would take that back or, you know, I need to explain that and expand on it. And maybe in hindsight, yeah, I didn't agree with that piece. Okay, what's why would you sign something that you don't agree with? Well, I if mean, you're talking about Tim doing Rizinski, if you're talking about Tim Rosinski, he actually because I asked him that and he said, no, he he feels that um, he did the right thing by signing that letter. Okay. I don't know if you're talking about him, but he did. He, you know, I thought that that was a mistake. He didn't. He, he's, you know, stuck with what he said. Okay. Um, But there's been many letters over the years. There's Mm -hmm. been many letters. Okay. And some of the people that have signed letters years ago have flopped and flipped And then there's a piece of me that wonders if signing these letters, because when these letters come out, it's like bombshells and they get all this attention. Right. And it's like wonderful PR for each of these experts. And they get to write these articles and then they write a book and then they want, oh, we need more. We need more um, research. And so now they get more grants. And it's like, wait a second. Where are the children in all this? That's right. Where I say that all the time. I'm like, it's never about the kids. Never, never. Because, and I will say this in defense of Emily. First of all, Emily, especially with like her hard words and and everything that has preceded sold a story. Emily went and did her due diligence, like with John Gabrielli at MIT, you know, and all of the other experts that I trust, you know, let me ask you this question. John Gabrielli is probably one of the best in the world, in my opinion. Okay. John Gabrielli worked with my daughter's old school and they created this program called Targeted Cognitive Intervention, okay? And it, it was a, um, a web-based, basically games, um, video games, but they were timed and um, you they were targeted. You couldn't get to the next level unless you passed this first level like in 30 seconds or one minute or whatever it was. My daughter's processing speed grew dramatically like crazy dramatically and this is all like proprietary stuff there's you can't access this unless you went to my daughter's school she had three four years of targeted cognitive intervention and it's like it almost gets to the point where now her last neuropsychological evaluation um she would not qualify for an IEP anymore. Okay. So why isn't this available to other children? Why? Because let's face it. Um, you know, uh, well, first of all, her school is a private school. Right. And they, they hired him. They hired him because he's one of the best in the world. Right. And they, they worked together to, to see if, you know, I mean, my daughter was sort of like a, you know, a a rat, (laughs) a guinea pig, like who knew it was going to work, right? I mean, parents, we knew that this was, um, you know, cutting edge, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And maybe down the line, it will 
come out. Who knows? But let me ask you, my the point of it is, where where's John Gabrielli? Is he on is he on Twitter like stoking the reading wars fires? Nope. Why? Oh, right. And it's, you know, it's it's very interesting that you say that. Um, it's, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I look at this and I'll think of the edu celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, the, the edu celebrities that people wait for the last word. And yet there are these unsung heroes out there. You know, you don't really see Joe Torgerson or... Um, who else? Uh, Sally excuse Who? me? Sally Shaywitz. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking why is why a lot I, of our viewers might not know those names. Do you guys want to like just give a little bit more info for, on them? With the national reading panel, um, you know, Joe Torgensen was one of the people. Reed Lyon was one of the people, along with Tim Shanahan. And but you know, you don't really see those people on Twitter or in these groups or or doing these things. And a lot of people don't even know about their work. Um, Jack Fletcher, that's who I was also thinking about. Um, so there are these people out there that, you know, they don't really um, know about. And yet other names you hear more often. And um, I wonder why. I don't I know. I wonder why too, but you know- well, also- I, I mean, I, I I have my theories on that, and and my belief is this: that John Gabrielli, and I'll stick to him because he's who I know. Um, he's at MIT. He's a cognitive neuroscientist. That's where we met. Yes, that's correct. And um, I I trust his work, and I believe in his work because I've seen the impact of his work in my child's life. And he is busy um, solve what I would say is solving this this reading dilemma, whatever, or providing us with more evidence that the structured literacy way is th- the best way. Um, and that doesn't mean that the other ways aren't helpful. My whole thing is our teachers have never been provided all of this knowledge and all of this training. They never had any practicum in this yet. We, we turn the, our children's lives over and, um, we have to by law cause it's compulsory. Right. Yeah. And, um, we it's supposed to be a public good, but yet we have children that don't want to go to school. Why don't they want to go to school? There's only I one or misbehave because they can't read and they're getting more and more frustrated. That's my daughter. So my daughter, because, you know, they always say girls are more compliant. Um, they they don't typically get in trouble. Um, also, because my daughter was twice exceptional, she can use her intelligence to compensate for her weaknesses so intelligent you know what she would do is in during like read aloud or whatever she would excuse herself always go to the bathroom do you think that they told me that my daughter had like you know freaking uh bathroom visits at the same time like every day (laughs) during reading lessons and she would go to the bathroom and cry by herself terrible So, so here's my, you know, five, six, seven year old girl. And she was, she remembers all this mom. Like I couldn't understand why I couldn't understand the lesson and I felt stupid and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed. And so the, the best way for me to do was to escape. She would escape to the bathroom and cry. Wow. And for a little kid to have that as their coping mechanism is very sad. Well, you know what? This happens everywhere. This is something that happens everywhere. And, you know, my work with kids, I would say most of them have, um, you know, anxiety about school and um, 
being there and feeling that they can't keep up with the work. But moving back into these blogs, um, you mentioned, Marilyn, the flip-flopping. What is it that you perceive here as flip-flopping? Because, you know, the way I looked at this, it was, like I said, to me, a bit confusing that, you know, in one blog, it was really quite strong in favor of what um, Sold a Story was, right. although, um, you know, Shanahan did say that there um, you know, there were things that he didn't care for and that he might discuss this in a second blog. Oh, I saw that as well. Did, yeah. Which he did. But um, the second blog, I also felt took us in a different direction. Um, it was more than just, in my mind, the way I read it, that, you know, yes, it was trying to build a bigger picture. But at the same time, I found it a little bit confusing. Could you elaborate on what you find flip-flopping? You use that term, flip-flopping. What do you mean by that? Well, it, I mean, I, I think I mean it, you know, just in general, more generally speaking, whereas, you know, I do feel like the the blogs were confusing. He's going in one direction in the first blog and then a different direction in another. And then by saying... The money piece is overstated. Um, you know these these companies are in business. They're not they're not nonprofits, right? Yes. I, and but he but again, um, I think what he's saying. You know, they're entitled to make money. This is you know what look, they did, and well, they a lot of the ethics for market need. They responded to the need that was but a lot of the experts also put their name on a lot of these products as well right yeah that's why uh, you know and i don't know did he ever i don't know i don't know i I don't have this answer but this is where uh, you know the people that put their name on her product and this is where i go back to saying that the connection between teachers college and teachers union is is a very uh, ethically questionable connection, right? Because if you have teachers coming out of teachers college and they're in NEA, so they've already been in what I would uh, indoctrinated, so to speak, in in Lucy Calkins and units of study. Um, and then they go to work in these districts and then one becomes a director of curriculum and instruction. And then you have, you know, Heinemann and you have their salespeople and they're taking the director of curriculum instruction out to lunch and they're whining and dining them and don't think this is not happening. Oh, it is happening. And people are going to put, and people are going to put new stickers on everything and say it's SOR or say it's explicit and say it's direct. So basically what's the solution? I, I, I kind of think that Tim's intention was also to just say, listen, there is more than just one pillar. Um, I think he gave an example that I think it was in Mississippi that um, even with strong phonics instruction, 35% of children still struggled. Now, of course, 35% is not 85%, so it's probably an improvement. However, I don't think any of us could be under the illusion that just that 30 minutes of phonics is going to fix the reading gap. It is a key component, but we know- That's the law always said that. Let me finish. always said it's more than just phonics, right? I mean- Right, but you know what? We're really focusing on phonics, but like, you know, we've done show after show after show after show and Natalie Wexler's come on and she said that, you know, we have to go deeper into the knowledge gap and build that comprehension and screw the five pillars. And I guess what my point is, you know, the teachers are just trying to get their day. Most of them love their children tremendously. Most of them have to write like a thousand lesson plans, differentiate. it's just too much. How do they, how, you know, how do we just solve this problem already? You know, it's easy. It's easy. I you really think God. it's easy? 
Yes, I do. And I'll tell you why it's easy. And the way I learned it, that it was easy is from that experience at Lauren's school, the Carroll school. Okay. Because what they do is it is, I mean, the model is very specific. They do not deviate from it. You know, you have things here and there, you got to tweak, but they adhere to the, uh, the structured literacy, the, the scaffolding, the systematic, you know, they do, they circle back every day to review the prior day's lesson. They build, it's totally scaffolded and, um, they do not, um, proceed to the next scaffolded unit until there is mastery. Okay. So, and they, their model is based on um, the Orton-Gillingham approach to structured literacy, okay? And Orton-Gillingham, I don't care what anyone says, oh, you know, Orton-Gillingham. Well, guess what? Where did foundations come from? Where did all of these, where did letters come from? All of these right. programs that cost- Well, all letters this- is a training program that a lot of us are taking to understand the way the brain works and the science- or in Gillingham, I'm trained in it. I know Faith has some of her own feelings about that. No, no, I I was also trained in it. Right. So I mean, I I'm well but is that by but is what that I the say is that there are there are other approaches as well. More is coming, um, you know, out about speech to print literacy. Yes. There's a lot of success yes. in that, but it's all structured, sequential. It's exactly. how you approach it. You know, exactly. it's not, it doesn't have to be OG. It Correct. has to be sequence, structured, cumulative work. That's what's important. But you know, like a lot of these programs are coming out and people are thinking it's going to be this magic bullet. Like first, when I heard some people are doing wit and wisdom, it's going to be great. It matches foundations. Now they're like, oh, it sucks. Then some people are like HMH, it's new. Some of it aligns with the science. Some of it doesn't align with the science. I guess the part that's hard for me to understand is kids don't have a lot of time to wait while we're all figuring this out. It has to come from the top that there's just a freaking solution already. How much longer are we going to wait and have to shout it out on Twitter and have to tweet in the morning that this is what's supposed to happen and it doesn't happen and the days go by and the years go by and then there's more kids like Marilyn's kids that potentially didn't have money or live in a shelter, or, you know, or don't have money for a tutor, or doesn't have a parent that thinks there's anything wrong and thinks it's their kid's fault. How much time can we spend over and over again? You know, the experts are doing just fine, but the kids that are out there aren't. Right. So for example, like, I I mean, I totally agree with you. And it, it has to be the kids have got to, the, the focus has got to come back and be on the kids, the teachers and the kids. Train our teachers. Okay. I've always said that educator preparation programs have got to be reformed. They do. They have to. Right. And we have all of, so we have. Well, they need to be shut down if they're not using the right programs. But yeah, is it because a lot right. of them are taxpayer funded? So with that said, let's wrap up. Let's um, just uh, tie the pieces together. Last thoughts about these two articles. Um, Judy, you want to say something? Have any thoughts about these two articles? Last thoughts. So I think the main thing that I'm thinking about is it's really hard every day to see another article that says, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good, we need more, we need more. Like, let's all unite and help our kids. Because what it feels like right now is like, everybody wants to tackle every pillar at one time, including myself, right? I'm spending my nights listening to Natalie Wexler's knowledge gap to see what that has to look like. They're saying main idea and all those things and the way we've been teaching that is not okay. Like, how can us educators that are still in the field working with kids have a solution because it shouldn't be teachers having to say, oh, can I use a decodable? Is it okay? Am I going to get in trouble? 
let's get this right. Kids are counting on us. I hope things happen on a federal level, at a state level. We have to put some mandates in place. And we have to also monitor the data really, really well after you know, a couple of months, a couple of years. And if it's not working, we have to have some serious discussions like, okay, this is not getting get, giving us good results. What's going on? Is it the instruction? Is it the program? Or what the hell is happening? That's it. Marilyn? Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned Natalie. I guess, you know, the 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 concern I have there is that, you know, she talks about knowledge. We know knowledge and background knowledge is all of this is important. Um, I'm just wondering, has she put it into practice? Do we have, you know, has she used what she's saying is is needed in the classroom? Is there is there research based on her putting this into practice? That's an interesting. That is an interesting. You one. know that you say, and I think that one thing that Tim said is, you know, a journalist is supposed to report on these issues. It's another thing when they are making recommendations as, you know, like educators at, from their own experience. So I think, you know, this goes along with the idea of we're living in a time when journalism is not neutral. It's really not neutral. It's not just reporting what we're seeing and gathering facts. It's going to the point where now there are recommendations coming from journalists and people who write about this. And I think that's probably the the issue when people say, oh, you know, we we should listen to a journalist, you know, who hasn't done this. No, they don't have to do it to report on it. But if you're going to make recommendations about the classroom, you should at least have experience being in the classroom. And you should at least talk to your teachers and hear what they have to say too. teachers from all ends. You know, every story does have, you know, pieces that need to be discussed. And uh, one last thing that I want to mention, Faith. You had your you chance. Know how an, <laughs> what? You had your chance. <laughs> so listen, so oh. I, looked, I, I looked at the comments in Tim, Tim's blog, Tim Shanahan's blogs, and I think he referred to What Works Clearinghouse again. And wasn't that the one that said reading recovery is wonderful that I used to let that I mentioned? Oh so like, God. wait, first I'm finding out don't look at what works clearinghouse. Now I'm supposed to look at it. The bottom line is let's get this shit right already. <laughs> okay, with that, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you, Marilyn, for joining. Thank you. I think it was wonderful having your perspective here. I do like every so often having a parent weigh in on this because their their voices are important, very important. And well, so our voice is coming from the experts. The experts don't don't um, engage with us. It, it doesn't has, have to be, we can have civil, respectful, nuanced discourse, but you, you've got to listen to parents because parents see what you're saying needs to be put into practice, you know, and if it's not working, we're going to, we're the first to know. Mm-hmm. Marilyn, I, could I ask you a question? Yeah. If you had one tip today to give to parents, what would it be? Oh boy. Uh, well, for the young children, um, if you know the behavior of your child um either while they're at school or if they they come home and they tell you they don't like school or if they have like after school restraint meltdowns school refusal those those mm-hmm. are massive those are massive red flags that are telling you that the environment is not right for them that that instruction is is not working for that child. I think I wish someone, I wish I had known, you know, um, (laughs) my book, my book. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. I wish, I really wish I had known that my daughters, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes, children's behaviors are inextricably linked to their level of reading. And what that means is Lauren, Lauren, 
was struggling to learn how to read and her behaviors, it, it manifested in her behaviors. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Marilyn. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And my last word is that um, this was not an attack on um, Tim Shanahan. As a matter of fact, um, I extended an invitation to him and um, he was not able to join us or chose not to join us tonight. But um, in any case, I respect what he does. I love his blogs, but you know, I think that this is the literacy view and these are our views. So I hope you enjoyed tonight's show. Thank you. Follow so- us on Facebook, the literacy view, real teachers getting, t- getting loose. Follow us on Twitter. You know where to find us. Where else? Baby? Get the name straight. Real teachers letting loose. <laughs> I got it. Good night. Good night. Okay. Good night. Bye. Thank you. Thank Stay you. on. Be well. Again, I said stay on. It's still recording.